I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter, letter of 2 Peter. We're going to focus our attention on chapter 2 of this letter. Again, Peter's reminding the young church uh, that there are prophets who have spoken faithfully uh, from the Lord God, who've been carried along by the Holy Spirit. And uh, these are the very words of God to His people, spoken uh, through the prophet, and they can be trusted. We have that word before us this morning on the canon of Scripture and the people that Peter is writing to in that first century, they, they also have this prophetic word. But there are also those who do not have a prophetic word. False teachers, leaders in the church who twist the gospel if they've ever really heard it or understood that gospel and deny the Lord Jesus by their lifestyle. They're in the church. They're very convincing. You'd be very gifted. Uh, ideas are attractive because, remember, they appeal to the desires of the heart. Um, um, we noted last week that, um, that God's judgment um, on, his, on His calendar, uh, He makes a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous um, apart from Him, and He knows how to keep the godly from trials. But he continues here in chapter 2 some, some strong language over these false teachers, the unrighteous in the church. And that's where I want to pick up. We're going to pick up uh, with that new sentence halfway through verse 10. Still describing the unrighteous that's uh, there. The apostle says, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. The sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. You know, a lot of people don't like to read 2 Peter or spend time in 2 Peter. Any idea why that might be? Um, yeah, this is hard, sharp 
language uh, in this apostle. I, th- I think this is close as Peter may get to the apostle Paul and the fire that he writes to the church in uh, Galatia. But blots, blemishes, accursed children. Um, does he really have to talk like this to get his message across? And I, I think we'll understand as we go along here um, why Peter may be so writing with such uh, intense passion. Um, but we need to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this word, a word that is difficult to read and hear and, and understand. And so we ask, as we have, have prayed in song, uh, speak, O Lord, uh, work in us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teaching us, conforming us to our Savior. Uh, Lord, guard our hearts with this uh, warning. Spur us on uh, to love, to godliness to acknowledge our need for your grace each and every moment. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The girls and I were walking around a portion of the pond here on base, and I actually drove by it again this morning. But it is, uh, it's not a very pleasant uh, body of water. There are, are grasses and things growing in the middle of it and long grass around the outside. And it doesn't smell very good as you're on the trail walking around this pond. And, uh, and I noticed as we were walking that there was a sign, a white sign that had a fork and a spoon and a plate on it. And as I got a little bit closer to the sign, there was a fish on this plate. And it was warning there saying, you can keep the fish, you can keep a certain number of fish below 13 inches, but only you know, two over 13 inches. And they only recommended you eat two of these rainbow trout a month because of the mercury level that was in this water. Um, I, that didn't encourage me very much. I, I wasn't going to toss a line into this stagnant, still pond. I, I, I think you'd probably be better, you know, you'd probably catch a, a spare tire or a, a traffic cone or something before a rainbow trout. Um, but the Apostle Peter's a fisherman, and even with some dirty, somewhat nasty water that we're, we're wading into here, that does not deter him. Um, because he's a fisherman, he's using what's familiar, he's using fishing language. Um, that language here of uh, describing these false teachers, leaders in the church, they are enticing, uh, enticing others, unsteady souls. And that just means to, to lure, to bait in like you'd bait a fish. Um, so Peter is, you know, Peter's been called of God as a, as a fisher of men. He wants to be faithful to that call, but now we see that there are, there are other fishers of men, fishers of people in the church uh, who are trolling the same waters, but they are not doing so uh, called of God, but doing so out of their own uh, greed and evil intentions. Um, but how do we know? How do we distinguish between you know, the true fishermen and you know, those... Uh, who are trying to bait others in the church. Uh, with a message, we said last week, is very attractive. And so I think that the apostle helps us with this in, in this section. We're going to look at, at, at the implication of these false teachers, meaning the reasons behind why their judgment is certain, why they're coming under the judgment of God, how they're implicating themselves, and then the impact uh, of these deceivers in the church. Um, Peter's raising awareness within the church here so that they can be identified and, and uh, before they really cause um, 
irreparable, irreversible harm within the church. I was talking with a friend uh, last week about things that were just happening around the house, everyday things, cleaning up the yard, cutting the grass, uh, weeding the garden, um, chasing the chickens around. They got a little bit of uh, property there. And they mentioned how, how the kids love to explore the property, chasing the chickens, but they do this without fear, um, which was encouraging. Glad that they could explore the property, but without fear of what that snake may be or what that spider may be. They just go right up to it. Um, and so that, that could be a little unnerving as a parent if you've got younger children who are uh, just free to explore but don't know what to fear yet. And so Peter says there are those in the church who show little fear of God. Little or no fear of the power of God, the power of spiritual beings that He's created in the, uh, the heavenly host, the angelic host. They don't tremble at this. Either because they don't believe in these things or it seems to make very little difference in their lives. So they're bold and, and willful, it says. Too confident. And when confidence is not grounded in, in wisdom and a healthy fear, it turns to arrogance. So they speak sort of flippantly, uh, actually looking down on those who would seek to be faithful, to carry out God's word. Um, so, so it's what, what we're hearing from these leaders, what's coming out of their mouths that helps us identify these fishers of men. Typically, um, you know, they've sort of moved on from the gospel message as the source of salvation, the source of strength and hope for every day. Right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is a message that we can never get over or get past in the life of the church. So if we hear otherwise, let's be warned. Um, there is no fear of God, no holy um, reverence before His Word. And they'll be critics, criticizing things they don't comprehend and act like, like animals, uh, doing what comes instinctively, um, instinctively by feeling and not by reason. And we, we are getting a picture of this, say outside the church right now, but it's a very clear picture of this sort of flippant, irrational attitude that condemns what is not understood. Um, we're seeing it in, in the civil unrest. We're seeing it in the violence around us, fueled by a lot of confusing messages. Um, and so it's indiscriminate, almost animal-like behavior that says, well, I, I perceive some injustice, not, not to undermine actual injustice that's happening. Um, or I, I feel oppressed. Or I, I align or try to have some solidarity with, with those who feel oppressed, and so I'm going to throw something or burn something or hit someone, or worse. Um, try to destroy a very system that helps provide the justice that they claim to want. Um, so again, the, the rule of the mob, maybe you're hearing that. Acts chapter uh, 20 in Ephesus. The rule of the mob produces confusion, lawlessness. It's never satisfied. Um, so these folks in the church are acting on irrational instinct. And they'll reap what they sow for this. So it's what they're saying, but it's also how they see. Um, they have adulterous eyes, sinful appetites that can be, you know, can be very good at hiding. 
You know, wandering eyes that enjoy where their eyes are wandering. Um, so that the women that these, these men are seeing, they're not image bearers of God to them. They're not being protected or, or cared for, honored, but are seen as just another object to satisfy uh, their own lust. And while they should be working, while others are working in the daytime, they're just indulging um, their own pleasures. So you can hear the, hear the deception. You can hear the element of secrecy uh, that's there. And this could be men or women, uh, certainly, but the context here is in men in positions of leadership or potential leadership. So yeah, that's, that's a, pretty big, a pretty big swath. Um, it's often men who are more prone, I think, to that Lone Ranger lifestyle. Um, you know, I've got this. If I don't, I'll figure it out. Um, I don't need help. I don't need accountability. I really don't need others who can, can walk this way of truth with me. Uh, and so perceived confidence actually is cowardice. Uh, perceived faith by others can actually be deep fear. Ephesians 5 is that Jesus died to present His bride, to present the church without spot, without blemish. And now Peter says that these, these folks are blots on the purity of the church. It's what they say. It's how they see. It also leads to the desires of their heart. They want more and more of the world's attention and that material wealth. And we know from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that you can't have it both ways. We can't serve two masters. Our heart follows after uh, those treasures, allegiance and worship um, to those things. But these in the church, are, they're after worldly treasure, they're fed by greed. And then Peter uses that illustration, great built-in illustration here of Balaam, uh, the prophet Balaam to make this point. Do you remember Balaam in Numbers who, who was approached by the king of Moab with lots of dough? He says, it can be yours. If you would just come and, and curse Israel. Israel was, was moving through the land, um, driving out the peoples before them. Just, just curse them and it's yours. And the Lord tells Balaam, no, that's not what you're going to do. But Balaam likes to consider it over and over again. This wouldn't be so bad. Maybe I can get away with both. And so Balaam ends up you know, mounting his donkey and, and rides out with the, the entourage that the king has sent. And we learn that the donkey actually understands the will of God better than he does. That's a bit sobering to think that the, one of the better preachers in the Old Testament is a donkey. Um, but it's true. Um, the Lord uses this animal to speak sense to Balaam. But Balaam is pictured as a man of the flesh, not a man of the spirit. Um, pursuing his own Sort of comfort, pursuing his own security. Enticing, steady soul. Those in the church who, who may not know better. Um, those in the church who, who may not have grown up in the church. Or don't have you know, some of the more informed beliefs in the church. Okay, now they're hearing that they can live with this sexual pleasure and comfort or the other comforts of life, without judgment. And that, that's an easy hook to swallow, for sure. Remember, this is the implication. Peter is, 
explaining why this judgment in verses, uh, verses 4 through 10 is, is more than justified. Um, building a, a passionate case here against these false fishermen. Um, many in the church, many involved in church ministry, they're going to hear from the Lord on that day of His coming. Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. So these men, under the judgment of God, they can have a major impact on the church. That's where I want to go to next here. I hope we're starting to hear what's at stake. Why the apostle is passionate. Why he's fuming over this. It'll come out more here, verses 17 through 19. They're promising peace. They're promising freedom when there is no peace. And they are enslaved themselves, like waterless springs, or as Jude puts it, clouds without rain. They're promising refreshment. They're promising satisfaction to people who are genuinely thirsty. Who desire this. They may be new converts. They're curious. They want to learn. Just think of what Melissa shared earlier. and just The gals who are just being exposed to the truth of the Word. They're, they're curious. And they're certainly listening and observing. Particular targets for these fishermen. So here it is, folks. Here, here's why. There are those in the church who are spiritually trafficked. And we're not turning a blind eye to the actual physical trafficking then and now. Um, but there are those who are the most vulnerable in the church and they're being lured in. They're being snatched away from the truth and the freedom of the Gospel. If you have children or you care about children at all and you knew that there are potential traffickers in their midst, how would you respond? You think you'd be a little on edge? You think you'd be watching very carefully what's going on? Um, this is Peter. He's piling on these word plays, these illustrations. Because folks are being baited back into um, just the clutches of the world. So we're hearing the impact of this. There's no fear of God in their hearts. If there is no judgment, then morality is sort of whatever it is you want to make it. Uh, it becomes irrelevant if that is the case. Remember one commentator who said, freedom from moral restraint fits nicely with the idea that there is no judgment. Um, so church, I want us to hear the warning here. Um, let's guard against waterless springs and miss empty promises that are paraded before us constantly. All right, so what are you hearing? What are you listening to? What are you reading? We're being catechized every day with the values, with the promises of the surrounding culture, a culture that has rejected the truth of God. If we're not aware, it's hard to see it, hard to even see it coming. And it creeps into the church. I'll give you an example of this. Um, critical theory is one example of this. Maybe you've heard of this or have done some um, study on this. Uh, because it is so dangerous because it uses Christian language and it's it's in Christian dress. Okay, it, it, it critical theory will will redefine uh, what it means to love and what justice looks like. Reads it into biblical themes. And here's, here's what I mean. Let me give you an example. A couple examples. When a Christian says God loves you, 
What that means in a critical theory is that God affirms and supports you and your decisions regardless of what the biblical witness may be. When a Christian says, love your neighbor, what it means is you affirm and support your neighbor regardless of what is true. Um, say God is, is just. What that means is God is he's all for dismantling all oppressors and oppressive systems. And any oppressor or oppressive system is one that doesn't agree with individual feelings. You hearing the danger in this? And it's promoted so that if you disagree with, this, with these ideas, what's behind this critical theory, then you're not just a bigot, you're not just a hater, you're not a Christian. You're going against Jesus' commands to love. Folks, this is at our doorstep. It is out there. It's in the universities. It's slipping into mainline seminaries. Um, we need to be aware of this. Because um, if we're not... We get hooked by it, um, trafficked by bad ideas. Um, how about consumerism as an empty promise? We had just a little bit more. See that these teachers are hooked with greed. Greed, greed is at the heart of this. Greed is the tap root of consumerism. Um, just give me more. The impression that that God is a taker, and if He's going to take more, then I should have more which is nonsense. It's a bad idea. God is the giver of law of life. He is the giver. His image bearers are to be, to be givers. What are you giving back to others? Um, not just like a vacuum sucking things up, but how are, you, how are you caring, giving for creation, for your community? One more empty promise that's very enticing. Strap in because this will get close to home. Um, Patriotism. How about a love of country? How about being an American? This is coming from somebody who put the uniform on this morning, so we could talk about patriotism all day long. And I hope we're grateful to live here in this nation. I hope we're grateful for the freedoms we enjoy every day, um, the sacrifices that have been made so that we can do what we are doing now. Um, we should be praying. Continue to pray for this nation, its leaders. I'm grateful for the way that you do pray in that way. But you and I are being shaped by American ideals and by American values. Kind of that catechizing I was talking about. It could be on education. It could be comfort, security, retirement, entitlement. Uh, and these things shape our faith and can shape our faith more than the truth of God's Word. And so we begin to project American values onto God. Believing that God, you know, God would really love the United States. If God, well, God would want to live here with us if He could live anywhere, right? God would certainly be pleased with the, you know, the, the politics, the positions, the policies of the United States. Now, when the living Word did take on flesh, it wasn't here in America. It was somewhere else. Um, so we're, we're dual citizens. We have citizens and allegiance here, but that allegiance is not on par with our citizenship to God's kingdom and our heavenly home. 
One, one of those citizenships is passing away. The other will endure for eternity. Um, so God's name, His, His fame in all the world, it is not tied to a particular government or a particular nation, to include this one. His name is tied. His fame is tied and spread through the church in all places around this world. So empty promises that only enslave. Uh, and eventually, uh, these folks in the church, they're seen for who they really are. Um, this is where I think it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow, verses 20 through 22. Um, because they're part of the church. Um, they may have been baptized. They, they may have professed their faith. They may have gone through some of the leadership training within the church. And then somewhere along the line, you know, they had left their old ways. They said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to hang out with those anymore. I'm not going to be in that place. But somewhere along the line, they're lured back in, pulled back to what they knew before. You know, when, when the, the demands of the gospel, you know, those beautiful and gracious demands of a conquering king who says, be holy as I am holy. When that's too much, then they return to you know, the filth of what they knew before. Hearts ultimately unchanged. It's like a dog or a pig. They're going, they're going to do what they want to do instinctively. This is true wherever the church is found. Um, so Peter's communicating here what John does in 1 John 2, where John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Genuine believers who have been saved by the grace of God, they persevere in that grace. And that's, that perseverance, that endurance is the true mark of authenticity. So I hope these, ver- these verses should encourage us to persevere in the faith. Our God perseveres. His saving grace abounds. He holds us to the end. We can't seem to hold on to anything. So we persevere in the Word. We persevere in worship. We persevere in trying to stay connected uh, with those in the body of Christ. So the true believer does not return to the vomit, but returns to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Um, So there's a lot at stake here. Eternal life and peace in the knowledge of God or eternal torment under the wrath of God. Peter drives it home. It would have been even better if they had had remained ignorant and not even heard the gospel and gone after the gospel and to hear the gospel and go on living the delusion that it doesn't require anything. I mean, that, that's pretty convicting. If you've been in the church for a while, or if you've grown up in the church. Folks, we are without excuse. If you're sitting here this morning, if you're passing through Trinity Fellowship, and you have heard the gospel. The way of truth has been, been held out. And so to, to turn back from this saving message, the sacred message of the gospel, that is a dead end. It will only lead to destruction. So we've looked at the implication, the impact of these uh, false leaders embedded here in the church. And it can be hard to discern. Uh, there's always actors in the church. And so we commend all to the Lord Jesus. But lest we, you know, I stand here, you sit there, and we sort of go, oh, 
I don't want to be that guy or that gal or, oh, I need to watch out for that. So glad I'm not like that. Well, that, that thumb is pointing back at me, pointing back at you. Um, the arrogance, greed, sensuality, these are all right here in my own heart and in yours. Um, so it's a warning. It's a warning against our own sin. We will reap what we sow. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus. Okay, that's where we have to end here after hearing you know, some tough stuff, wading into these nasty waters. If a true knowledge of God is, is found in, in living for Him, living in holiness, living, living out in righteousness, a righteousness that perseveres, where is that righteousness found? It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a Savior, a righteous one, who perseveres, lived, obeyed on our behalf, took the just wrath of God for our wrongdoing upon Himself. So we heed this warning. We examine our own hearts, examine our own motives, and where do we go? We go to Christ. We run to Christ. We return to the shepherd. We return to Christ today. We return to Christ tomorrow and the next day. We return to Christ because He has committed Himself, bound Himself to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we pray that You would work this Word into our hearts. Lord, sometimes it's so hard to hear a warning such as this um, where we recognize that if there is spiritual trafficking happening or the potential for it, why this message is so strong. Um, and so, Lord, we look to You to guard our hearts, to guard our minds. Lord, to teach us, encourage us, warn us through Your Word on this day and each day in front of us this week. May we be those who are quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to come alongside our brothers and sisters with a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation, warning. Lord, ground us in the truth of Your Word. And though all else pass away, it is Your Word that endures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.